0: Welcome to the Canadian Museums Association podcast. This is the second episode in a three-part series centered around the state of museums today through the lens of our 2022 conference theme, Dismantling Foundations to Build a Better Tomorrow. We are hearing from three speakers as they bring us through some of the present, past, and future considerations impacting the Canadian museum sector. Massimo Bergamini is CEO and Executive Director of the Canadian Museums Association. Heather George is an Indigenous curator currently working at the Woodland Cultural Centre and a CMA board member. And Luanne Neal is an artist and arts advocate currently working at Creative BC, British Columbia's creative industry catalyst. Following a three-year tenure as head of Indigenous collections at the Royal BC Museum, Luanne is also a sitting member of the CMA Reconciliation Council. Last time, we addressed the current state of affairs and the struggle that museums are facing to live up to quickly shifting societal expectations. Today, we ask the question, what brought us here, by looking into the past and into some of the factors unique to our shared history that have led us to this point.
1: There is a sense that we are at an inflection point, that we are being judged by what we do and what we don't do.
0: Massimo Bergamini, Executive Director and CEO of the Canadian Museums Association, says the country's heritage institutions are at a critical turning point amid great expectations.
1: And so the CMA as an institution is trying to take some leadership and lead the way in this discourse. But the reality is that there remain powerful forces that act as a buffer against change, funding models, funding pressures. It's difficult for an institution to embrace decolonization or embrace anything when it's struggling to keep the lights on.
0: In addition to financial constraints, the past year has been tumultuous at some of the country's biggest institutions, including the resignation of the CEO at the Royal British Columbia Museum, an investigation into discrimination and bullying, followed by an apology, and even allegations of racism at the Canadian Museum of Human Rights.
1: Online, several former staff are posting complaints about being marginalized as management looked the other way.
2: I experienced racism at the museum, either from staff, from visitors, or from stakeholders.
0: While deeply troubling, the revelations underscored a broader renewed willingness for museum workers to come forward to challenge the status quo. For indigenous artist and former Royal British Columbia curator, Lou Anne Neal,
2: exposing the truth is the first step. So truth before reconciliation, I've been saying this for the last couple of years since people have been on the topic of reconciliation. And I was just amazed at how quickly everybody ran past truth and went straight to reconciliation as though that were possible. Reconciliation is based on telling the truths and then examining what needs to be done in order to reconcile that truth. And the truth, unfortunately, is always something that's happened as a interaction between colonial governments and colonial people and First Nations people or indigenous people as the term we use now. And it often results in something That's happened to our people. Things have been taken away, being dispossessed, being removed from our lands. Well, those truths need to be told so that we understand what happened, what was incorrect or wrong about it, so that we can actually redress it. So I really encourage people always to look for what all the truths are before they start talking about reconciliation.
1: That is something that our sector is doing a lot of work in. It has been for a number of years. I think the work that we're doing through the CMA to respond to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's call to Action 67 is a step in the right direction. But there is an awful lot of work, an awful lot of heavy lifting that needs to take place. And I think an awful lot of acknowledgement and honest acts of atonement that need to take place.
0: The Truth and Reconciliation Report came out in 2015. It produced 94 calls to action. Number 67 calls on the federal government to, quote, provide funding for the Canadian Museum Association to undertake in collaboration with Aboriginal peoples a national review of museum policies and best practices to determine the level of compliance with the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People and to make recommendations end quote but progress has been slow and funding changes are still to come
1: where the sector fails maybe to live up to the hopes and aspirations of many within the sector and outside of the sector it's not because of a lack of will it's because of lack of resources again it goes down to having to choose Between engaging in a process, well, first of all, could be capital intensive if you've got to shut down and rebuild an exhibit area, rethink it, reconceptualize it, where you're closing yourself off from revenue streams and also having to engage multi-year investments and choosing to either that or investing in repairing the leaky roof, so to speak. They remain caught in a funding paradigm that has not kept up with the role that they could be playing and should be playing in Canada today. So absent that, unfortunately, you will see a lot of half-hearted performative efforts just to say that, you know, we've done it. You can check the box because there's pressure to do so. You'll see efforts that will fail because the reality is that resources suddenly have to be shifted somewhere else or there's local pressure that will be made to bear. And then there will be efforts at decolonization that take hold and transform the institutions and over time transform the communities in which those institutions are and so that's what we need to aim for is engaging in a process which over time will transform our communities and will transform our way of thinking and will transform the cultural and political context in which we live and operate next installation will be around the Skidans Haida Village model. If you look at the model now, you don't get a sense that there's Haidas around, that we survived, that we're thriving.
0: But on the road to that transformation,
2: Luanne Neal says there is much homework to be done. One other thing that I think is really important, and this has become a topic of big discussion with lots of my museum colleagues across the country, is when we talk about repatriation. One of the difficulties because of the uneven practice of documenting thoroughly and properly where different things have come from, there's a lot of confusion right now in various collections as to where different items come from. Because of Indian Affairs and the Indian Act separating communities, giving them different names. As a result, many museum databases actually use really old, outdated names. And that doesn't help communities when communities are trying to locate where their treasures have landed.
0: And not just
2: artifacts. Some of the stories I've heard about
1: how museums in Canada have confiscated sacred objects and even human remains, I find that, frankly, appalling at any time. But perhaps understandable in the historical context, but certainly not acceptable today. And I think every effort must be made to engage with Indigenous communities, not only to support the act of repatriation, but more to the point, to support an act of healing for both communities. Because I think there needs to be that honest engagement, that acknowledgement of the suffering that's been caused, and then an act of healing. And I believe that to be transformative.
0: Heather George, who curates at the Canadian Museum of History and the Woodland Cultural Centre, says the transformation
3: in thinking and how stories are told is far-reaching. I used to work at a historic home and we had a cone of sugar. And actually they also had these cones of sugar at Upper Canada Village. And we would talk about how this cone was an example of the family's wealth. And they would display it because to be able to have that sugar was a symbol of your wealth. But what we never talked about was the slave trade and the enslavement of people from the African continent who were forced to grow sugar so that there could be sugar in this cone, in this historic home. And those types of stories are the ways that we also get to this anti or decolonial work within museums is to really complicate the historical narrative. And I think that's really good for the public. The challenge
0: of implementing change is complicated by government policy and the expectations that were placed on museums many years ago. As Massimo Bergamini explains, that policy and funding model were developed in the 1970s when the country was much different and healing the divide between Quebec and the rest of Canada was the priority.
1: The funding model that was put in place in the 1970s did not envisage this need. The reality is that the programs that we operate under today, the support programs and frameworks that we operate under today, have not for any meaningful way been updated since then. It was in a period of political flux. The government of Canada felt at the time when national unity and cohesion was a key issue for the country and for the national government, that museums could play a role in unifying the country, in telling stories that brought people together. And the government of Canada rolled out a number of institutional legislative frameworks and program frameworks to support that. But when you think about the context in which those were designed and the context where we are today, and you say, these things have not changed since then, you know that there's a terrible misalignment from a program and funding perspective to where we are today.
0: Taking a toll not only on the aspirations of museums, but on their existing collections, too.
1: I was talking to the chief executive of a fairly large institution in Western Canada a couple weeks ago who was speaking to me about the challenges that they have with current funding models that just are absolutely silent when it comes to capital expenditures. They happen to have a large number of heritage properties that require very specialized maintenance, upkeep, and so on. And they just don't have the capital budget for this. So here are historical artifacts that are just allowed to deteriorate.
0: So what's the future for museums?
3: I do think one of the really beautiful things about the work museum people do is that they're passionate. Nobody goes into museum work to be rich and I don't think very many people go into it for notoriety. They do it because they're passionate about the past and they're passionate about culture and they're passionate about heritage and I think that passion is a really strong tool and a really good indication of the ability of our profession to engage in new ways of thinking and engage in unlearning and relearning more about the future solutions and next
0: steps in our next episode the canadian museum association is the voice for canada's vibrant museum community from small volunteer-driven organizations to national institutions and for the millions of Canadians whose lives are enriched by museums. The Canadian Museums Association podcast is made possible thanks in part to funding from the Department of Canadian Heritage as part of the CMA Strengthening the Museum Workforce Initiative.